Clinical governance is seen as one of those ticket to play things. You can't do digital health without having appropriate clinical governance. But is it a set and forget thing? What about in a landscape that's transformed in those famous words, 10 years in 10 days? But fundamental to the success of those innovations and transformations in digital health is clinical governance and safety. And I feel like we all know that. But whose responsibility is it? And what happens if things don't go to plan? And how do we go beyond the frameworks to deliver tangible improvements and actions when it comes to improving clinical quality and safety in health tech solutions? Well, I'm discussing this very topic with my next guest, Rodney Eccleston. And in this conversation, we'll cover the all-important topic of clinical governance in digital health. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Rodney Eccleston. He's a healthcare executive leader with clinical experience as a registered nurse and a career-long commitment to safety and quality. He's delivered capability maturity in safety and quality in clinical and biomedical research ethics public health, specifically cancer control, and for more than 10 years in digital health. Hey, Rodney, how are you going? Good, thanks, Pete. Nice to be with you. Yeah, good to have you on the show. Thanks so much for making the time. And I know we'll be discussing this particular topic that we're talking about today at the Winter Summit coming up, but I wanted to connect with you specifically to go into a bit more of a deep dive about it because it's a remarkably important topic that sometimes doesn't get enough airplay, and that's all around clinical governance. So thank you for making the time. Appreciate the opportunity. I think it's certainly topical. And I know from widespread communication across the network, people are pretty excited about seeing it come up in the summit. So thanks for including it in the program. Yeah. And for those that don't know, Rodney, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background, sir. Started out in the health sector as a registered nurse, both here and in the United Kingdom. Much of that time was in the acute sector, both private and public. And I guess a pretty pivotal time for me was in the United Kingdom, going back quite some time now. My experience there in an emergency environment coincided with when there was a really important historical moment for clinical governance, I think, all over the world. And that was the Bristol Heart Scandal, which focused on high rates of infant mortality following cardiac surgery. And many of your listeners, no doubt, will call that period of time. And we now know that that had a really big impact on the desire for improvements in patient safety and also the role, I think, particularly of culture and incident reporting around adverse outcomes for patients. So that impacted on me during that time in the UK, really directly. I was working in an adjacent trust in the UK. So one of my returns to Australia, so I caught what I refer to as the data and information bug and got involved in some work that was looking after clinical trials. And in particular, at that point in time, there was a real acceleration around antiretroviral clinical trials and and trying to accelerate the program of research for addressing the needs of what was then still a significant HIV problem. Through that period of time, my interest really started to be focused on the idea of providing efficiencies around how clinical governance and patient safety was delivered. Because I think historically, it perhaps suffered from something of a brand problem, probably a poor term to use, but there is, I think, a perception in some circles still persisting that perhaps clinical governance and safety and quality 
are a sort of form of the fun police, notwithstanding that they've got a really important role to play. So I really became focused in my work on trying to work out how you could do patient safety, clinical governance and quality in a way that was really servicing internal and external customers. And customers is a word I know that's not used a lot sometimes in healthcare, but I think it has its place. That led on to reluctantly in many regards, sort of taking on some roles in digital health. Um, and what I thought was going to be a quiet life looking after SNOMED CT in the early days when Australia got involved in that, turned into returning to some clinical safety roles, notably doing system safety work around some big national digital health infrastructure, healthcare identifier service in my health record. Wow, there you go. I like how you say what was going to be assumed as a bit of a non-eventful role in digital health and then obviously to bring it to where we are now. Before we get into digital health and clinical governance in a bit more detail, for those that aren't fully aware of clinical governance and its role, set the guardrails for us in the first instance. And in a traditional sense, what is clinical governance? There's no shortage of definitions around clinical governance and not limited to a good one that's provided by the Australian Commission for Safety and Quality in Healthcare. But I guess if you look at the whole sort of suite of ways that people try and describe clinical governance, there's a couple of core themes that come out in those descriptions. Really, it's around how organisational providers of healthcare arrange themselves through a commitment to improvements in patient care. And make sure there's accountabilities to set measures to ensure a standard of care and oversight and that in fact that's actually occurring. So it's not just something that's talked about, but it's something that can be evidenced and that creates data that allows people to know that it's occurring. I think one of the other relatively traditional ways of thinking about clinical governance is that it's constrained to organisational structures and those processes, including quite practical things like patient safety systems, incident reporting and analysis, clinical leadership and culture, alongside the nuts and bolts pieces around committee forums, et cetera, and how they actually work for an organisation to be effective. And I think in a digital context, what has been and continues to be challenging, I think, is what do we mean when we talk about organisational structures? Because we all know that healthcare is a set of interacting systems and subsystems. And so clinical governance I think is something that can be challenging to apply in that context. Yeah. Going further then, even just beyond a clinical context, then looking at digital health and applying clinical governance to digital health, how do those two kind of worlds relate to each other? Are there some challenges in bringing the two together and having harmony? I think there are some challenges. Certainly, if you look back at over the last, certainly that I'm aware of over the last 10 to 15 years in digital health, I think there's been an increasing focus in frontline organisations around the role of digital health, readiness, change and adoption, education efforts, etc., such that when these technologies come down the pipe, that they feel that the non-technical aspects of being successful in a transformation are actually being addressed. I think in that sense, clinical governance has been on the front foot, if you like. I think the other area where I think there's been quite a bit of emphasis provided is around that sort of socio-technical or user experience interaction with systems and how that might impact negatively on patient safety. So there's been a pretty steady diet of discussion around optimal user interface, the whole experience of using digital at the front line. So in that sense, I think there's been quite a 
good bringing together of some of the principles of clinical governance for those purposes. I think where there's probably been some challenges in practice for non-healthcare or direct providers of healthcare organisations is understanding what their role is in supporting clinical governance. So these might be corporate authorities, once or twice removed organisations, including vendors, etc., that are clearly playing really important roles in the whole digital health ecosystem, but don't have patients and clinics and a whole bunch of the day-to-day realities of healthcare looking at them each time they walk into work. So I think that plays out in a range of different ways. Clinicians have become slowly more involved and more literate around things like design methods and processes for becoming proficient members of these teams and not just consulted sort of off to one side in the development process, for example. Yeah, I want to get into that in a little bit more detail around the responsibilities for vendors and everyone involved, different stakeholders in clinical governance. But then as you were talking, as I'm thinking around clinical governance, one thing when I think of clinical governance in digital health and in my own roles and experiences, often for those that are less familiar with it, often you feel like establishing a framework and then you've done clinical governance. Often you talk around frameworks are required to deliver clinical governance. And once you've got the framework in place, everything kind of falls in place after that. Is that where clinical governance sits and ends? Is it the framework end or is it a bit more involved than that? Well, it certainly shouldn't be just limited to frameworks, but it's certainly fair to say that frameworks can be really important. I think particularly in the early development of the clinical governance footprint, if you like, within an organisation, frameworks can be really key. They can focus an organisation, particularly in how they might envision their role in clinical governance. So I think it's really important to note that each organisation will tend to envision clinical governance differently depending on where the focus of that organisation is. And I think that should be something that's encouraged. It's not a one-size-fits-all piece. It can be particularly useful, I think, frameworks for understanding authority and decision-making and the role of clinicians in that. If I can give an example of that, I recall being in certain environments in the past where people will say to you if you're a member of a clinical governance capability, well, if the clinicians aren't happy, we can't move forward with this product. It can't be released. Sounds very familiar to me, by the way. (laughs) Absolutely. And in reality, that's not really workable because I think what people know if they're down into the sometimes chaotic, time-bound and budget-restricted environment of delivery is that you've got a bunch of competing factors and priorities So there's tensions between perfect UI development and safety by design, there's cyber and privacy considerations. So the idea that somehow frameworks deliver a license for clinicians to be the only people that matter for a product to move forward, I think is quite misguided. And it's not helpful for clinicians, it's not helpful for anybody that's looking to move product forward. In that sense, frameworks are not useful, or in fact, they're useless unless they're contemporary They're approved and people know why they're approved. They're they're co-designed with the right audience in mind. So you've got to know, actually know who you're talking to in the development of that framework. And I think perhaps if we go back a few years, there was a tendency for frameworks to be written for the people that already understood what the framework was trying to be developed for. I think where we increasingly see people getting to is that they're developing frameworks for an audience 
that is on a learning curve around what their role in clinical governance actually is. I think around just the point you were raising before about the focus and what the clinical governance framework or everything is there to solve for, sometimes or quite often when people think about if you don't get clinical governance right, then what happens? So often it's the focus is around patient safety or security, and that's the reason why so much attention is paid around clinical governance when it comes to digital health solutions is the patient safety side of things. Is that the main focus for clinical governance in your perspective? I think you're right. Patient safety, for good reason, has been a real priority for clinical governance. But I think there is also a bunch of other domains of interest that fall under the aegis of clinical governance that are important. And one of those, I think, is this whole relationship between clinical governance and corporate governance. Again, by example, it's entirely appropriate for clinical governance, both a core capability and then how that might be seated in, in the broader organisation to be focused on patient safety. But if the tools of trade for those clinical safety assessments, safety cases, prospective and retrospective analysis are not in some way cognizant of what the broader organisation's corporate risk framework is or their enterprise risk framework is, then you can end up with quite a discordant set of assessments where in fact you might be using a completely different way of characterising the narrative around risk than the enterprise risk team might be doing. So it's super important to try and bring those things together. And I think we've seen some really good examples of that actually happening, where boards are wanting to understand that what they're seeing in the way of risk is consistent with the way that the language around risk and the outputs of those processes around clinical risk being administered in that organisation. So that's a key piece, I think, in terms of priorities, is that bringing together of clinical governance with corporate governance. In terms of safety itself, I think increasingly healthcare and particularly digital health continues to learn from other safety critical systems and apply principles around safety engineering. And I think we see evidence of that quite frequently where in practice, when we're seeing less, I think, of clinicians being brought into design processes at the conclusion of those processes and being asked for an opinion. And what we're actually demanding now of people that are practitioners of clinical governance or have as a key responsibility and accountability in their role, that they become really proficient players in those other mechanisms that are being used in digital health delivery. And so what I mean by that is you can't afford as a clinician or someone involved in clinical governance to say, well, technology is not my thing. I'm a doctor or I'm a nurse or I'm an allied health professional and I'm here to just give you opinion about healthcare. You've got to lean in as a healthcare professional to the technology, try and understand it, but realise that you're never going to be that domain expert. And conversely, I think the reverse is true where technology teams are leaning into the clinical governance area and starting to understand one tribe rather than existing perhaps in two separate tribes. And that's a really important point too, often in my own personal experience, but also speaking with many members of the community more broadly in the industry, often when it comes to 
from a vendor's perspective or looking at implementing technology, not even just from a vendor's perspective, from a hospital's perspective or a CTO, a CIO, those that are rolling out technical solutions, digital health solutions in a clinical environment, obviously the buy-in of clinicians is critical, but if there's not that confidence in place or the buy-in from the clinicians, obviously everything falls over from there. Clinical governance plays a particularly important part in winning that confidence of the clinicians and having that buy-in. And so it sounds like you're saying that's a really important piece of the picture as well as having the clinicians involved in the early piece when it comes to the clinical governance side of things and the designing of a solution. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're seeing clinicians and practitioners of clinical governance, safety engineers, a whole raft of people driving a sensibility about early engagement, understanding what iterative design really means understanding what it means to actually get involved in designing, for example, test strategies and what role clinical governance people might have in both the design and execution of those test strategies. Rather than looking in as an audience from the outside, they're actually involved, have skin in the game. And quite frankly, if the outcome is then poor, then they have accountability for that as well. So I think it starts to break down that piece where potentially technical teams look over the fence at clinical or clinical governance teams and say, well, the reason this hasn't worked out is because you made us do it this way. Or clinical teams saying, well, we told you so when you were going to do it that way. And guess what? It hasn't worked out. Instead, it's people ideally working together and reaching a minimum viable product that takes account of all those competing assurance requirements that we touched on earlier. It's not just around the clinical acceptability of product. It's about measuring that up against things like cyber and privacy and a bunch of other things that are also playing into the space. Yeah. I'm totally with you on the collaboration piece. That's critical in the success of these types of ventures. And so to put that in practice then from an application point of view, let's say from a clinician's perspective, what can they be doing to contribute to make sure that the appropriate clinical governance is applied to the use of digital health solutions in their day-to-day? One of the observations I'd make is that if you look across the workforce in digital health, there's a bunch of people that have been clinically trained that may or may not identify as being clinicians. So sometimes they sort of hide it under a bushel, if you like. And the first thing I'd say is that one of the roles that clinicians can play is that they actually celebrate out loud that this was part of their their career journey and that whilst they might be sitting over in the corner now as an architect or a BA or a tester and might not have any relationship formally in a reporting line to a clinical governance capability in their organisation. That provides them with a unique opportunity as a clinician to be an advocate for clinical governance and an advocate for bringing together that collaboration that we were talking about earlier. In a lot of ways, those quiet clinicians, if I can use that term, are really fundamentally an opportunity for clinical governance in complex organisations. Power to those quiet clinicians, I say. That's critical. And then thinking from the other side then, from the vendors or the creators side of the fence, thinking about creating these solutions and putting clinical governance in that process of creation and execution and support of health tech solutions, is there any advice that you provide to those guys? Yeah, I think it's probably important to recognise that in the vendor community, there is a spectrum of maturity in clinical governance. And I don't mean that in any way disrespectfully, because I think it would be 
it'd be silly to think that vendors had not and don't take seriously their responsibilities for the downstream impacts of their product in, in the healthcare market. And many of them have long recognised the criticality of that in the sector, but not everybody sees it probably in equal parts. And so on that basis, I think vendors are in a really unique position to both lead and follow. And what I mean by that is the sort of environment that a clinical governance professional would love to see would be the vendors reaching out following a procurement or during procurement seeking who the contact is from a clinical governance perspective on that piece of work or that bid and having that dialogue around what clinical governance requirements really look like, where is the ownership for safety requirements being managed and what can they do to build their own capability to try and respond to that. That's the sort of experience that we do see amongst some vendors, but perhaps not all. And I don't think it's from any lack of people wanting to engage on that front. But again, I think to some extent, it might be a symptom of what I was talking about earlier, that idea that maybe clinical governance and safety is somebody else's job, that a vendor is there to respond once those safety requirements or clinical governance requirements have actually been elicited rather than actually get on the front foot and say, hey, we'd like to plug in somebody in our organisation who has a background in clinical governance and quality or we've sourced somebody that does, and we want to plug them in on that basis. That would be, I think, welcomed by much of the sector. It kind of reminds me, it's relevant, but not, but it reminds me of, I used to say to staff in an early startup phase, if there's a job or something that you know needs to be done, but you can't name specifically who's going to be doing it, then chances are you probably need to do it yourself. So it's something like clinical governance is something that you think, oh, well, this needs to be done because we need to, but my focus is X, Y, and Z is product or is something else. But I think that it's something that really belongs. It needs to be pervasive across all different functions and responsibilities because everyone needs to play a part in some way shape or form. And lastly, Rodney, you're speaking a bit more about this particular topic at the Winter Summit coming up on the 24th of June. THT Plus members are coming along, plus people can also buy tickets to the event. And there's yourself and a couple of other speakers who'll be on the panel as well to summarise this conversation, but also to predict what might be discussed in this panel session as well. What do you think are some of the key learnings or takeaways that might come from that? Look, I really hope that we have a conversation that leaves people feeling like clinical governance is not some exclusive club. And as we talked about earlier, that it's not a function that sits to one side of what is the core business of a digital health organisation, but one that is got tentacles into a bunch of activities that occur in those organisations. But there is a real desire in the clinical governance community that works in digital health to do that in a way that is not about getting in the way of efficiency, that it's not about not seeing, if you like, clinical governance as a service where they are just as much accountable for delivering high quality assurance, et cetera, in the same way that technical teams have got to meet gates and time boxed activity. Assurance functions shouldn't be any different. So I hope people can come away with some confidence that there's certainly people that are doing clinical governance in digital that think that way. Love it, Rodney. I'm really looking forward to this session at the summit. So thank you so much for making the time today to talk through it and looking forward to talking with you more in a couple of weeks when we do it at the summit. Thanks so much. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you and thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the show. 
Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.